Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This week on Unforgotten. There are a lot of questions left up in the air, a lot of rumors and misinformation. April had CJ's keys on Wednesday, so he couldn't have picked her up in his car. You know, there was the rumor that there was a debt out there for him, that somebody was trying to make a point, and that's what happened to him. But clearly, his phone wasn't off at that point. It just sounds like somebody who's mourning, not somebody who's thinking that they're going to see somebody again and they just miss them. It was also stated that they held CJ in an abandoned outside of Weston. That he actually wasn't there when the dogs were there. Is it possible that there was some misinformation going around intentionally? CJ deserves to rest in peace and his family deserves real answers. And Lord, what we do to have him back here with us. I love you forever and always. Hey everyone, this is Sellers. And this is Stormy. And And this this is is Unforgotten. Unforgotten. Where each episode will highlight unsolved missing, murdered, and suspicious death cases in Alabama in order to raise awareness and hopefully obtain some answers for victims and their families. Please remember that any individual referenced in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. And any opinions or views expressed in the podcast are solely those of participants. Listener discretion is advised as some of the content discussed in the podcast may contain violence or graphic descriptions and may not be suitable for all audiences. Be sure to join our Unforgotten Patreon channel today to gain exclusive benefits, including early access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. By subscribing, you'll also be supporting the efforts of ACCA in assisting families in raising awareness for Alabama cold cases. And now for the conclusion of episode 31, C.J. Wilkinson, part three. Hey, guys, and welcome back. Happy late birthday, Stormy. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How was it? It was pretty mundane. It was mundane, you know, just a normal day, but it's sometimes those are okay. (laughs) Sometimes you need those kind of days. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so glad that we're back. I mean, we took a little extended leave and we are just like, we're getting back into the groove and. Oh my gosh. 2024 has started out. With a bang. (laughs) Yeah. That's one way to put it. Well, we're getting into it. Yeah. They always say like New Year's bring in our new year, new changes or whatever, you know, and Mm -hmm. we weren't kidding this year. So. Here we are. Yeah, I don't really go for that whole New Year's resolution and New Year. Yeah, it's life is life. It's going to be like De- December 30th isn't any bigger than January 2nd. <laughs> yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to. <laughs> I can't do the New Year's resolutions because I end up, I don't hold to them most of the time. So I don't really either. 
And I always have like the best intentions to do it, but yeah. it just doesn't. I don't know if this says anything about us or if it just means we're normal. <laughs> I know. I feel like we're in the majority. Yeah, yeah. me too. Well, we're pretty much going to get right into it today. Uh, keep the chatter up down a bit for this episode, mostly because there's a lot to discuss. Um, We want to thank you again from the bottom of our hearts for all your patience while we are getting back to our regular schedule. And, you know, life has a way of throwing you curveballs, but it's how you swing the bat and run the plates that matters, right? Mm. I know nothing about baseball. Was that a good analogy or no? (laughs) I mean, I feel like that was a pretty solid analogy. You had to swing really hard. Yeah. And on time. Yeah. Huh. All right. Yeah, we'll thanks. find out. We'll probably get comments saying, you know, that doesn't right, Stormy. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it was pretty insightful, but you know. <laughs> so 2024 is going to be a great year. We're going to bring you guys some special episodes in 2024. First, we're going to start to finish the cases we were working on last year by moving alphabetically and the first case that we're going to bring after we wrap up CJ's episode is a case from Mobile County. And I think we're going to try, I mean, we're, we're not 100% set on how we're going to go through season two, but we did decide on something new that um, occasionally we're going to start covering um, Jane or John Doe case, which um, personally I've had an interest in uh, Doe cases for a really long time. And Occasionally, we do get information on them. You know, they're kind of tough to cover sometimes because there isn't a lot of information because we don't know who they are. But sometimes there's actually more information than you would think there would be. And, um, you know, some, a lot of people have, you know, like submitted um, uh, matches. <laughs> Sorry, my I brain see. was frozen there for a second. Um, a lot of people submit matches on them, so there's stories behind why they're submitting those, and so it's. Um, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to doing that. Yeah, I submitted some matches um, to Namus over the holidays, actually. Yes, you did. I saw. Yeah, one of the things that um, kind of sparked my idea on doing this, um, just aside from my interest, was that um, not too long ago last year, and um, covered actually started. Um, adding those to their database. True story. And uh, yeah, and um, Dana from True Crime PI. She and like, the investigators. Yep, and the investigators. Yep, sorry, almost forgot about that. And I also almost forgot that um, she and Lexi Kakis and Andrea Cipriano are getting ready to do a live YouTube um, called Seeking Justice. In fact... Here's the trailer to listen to. In 2009, in Cleveland, Ohio, Don Pasella was hired by federal and state prosecutors to serve as office manager for a multi-jurisdictional mortgage fraud task force. This was Don's dream job. As a fierce advocate for justice, she wanted to be a part of something bigger and make a difference in the world. We are working together to aggressively investigate and prosecute mortgage fraud throughout Northeast Ohio. Dawn's dream job quickly turned into a nightmare. She realized that things weren't as they seemed. Evidence was missing, the chain of custody was broken, and her signature was falsified. 
Ultimately, Dawn was forced to wear a wire to spy on defendant Tony Viola. When she refused, she was threatened by her bosses. Dawn wanted to do what was right and to expose all the corruption that was going on inside the mortgage task force unit. I started looking into this story nearly a year ago, and it is quite frankly too big for me to cover alone. After Dawn did not appear in court to testify to the misconduct, she was found dead in her apartment under suspicious circumstances, but her death was never properly investigated. So Judge Gall put on the record that Dawn was found dead in her apartment by her, by her family. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't even, I couldn't even believe it. I, I still can't believe it. We went with a box of evidence to the Parma Police Department. They told us that it was too big for them, it was too political, and it was above their pay grade. They promised to turn it over to DCI. But they never did. The Parma Police Department closed the case after ruling her death a simple alcohol overdose. We think there's more to this story. Justice should be offered to everyone equally, no matter what they look like or who they are. It's never too late to uncover the truth. I'm Lexi Kakis. I'm Andrea Cipriano. I'm Dana Pohl. And, and this, this is Seeking, Seeking Justice. Justice. Seeking Justice premieres on February 28th. So don't forget to check that out. It's going to be great. And so Dana also has an interest in uh, researching Doe cases. So we're uh, doing a little conspiring with her to hopefully do an episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that'd be great. I love Dana anyway. She's she's such she's a awesome. neat gal. Yeah, she's great. Yes. So it's been a few weeks since CJ's family and friends joined us in parts one and two of episode 31. 31 episodes. That's a lot. Yeah. And I think a lot of them had two parts, you know, two, three parts too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so it's it says episode thirty one, but I think we've got more forty, closer to fifty, probably. Yeah, yeah. Here's a short recap of what we've learned so far regarding the disappearance and death of C.J. Wilkinson on July twenty ninth, twenty twenty. Above all, we learned about who CJ was as a person. He was more than just your average young guy. He was truly the light on a cloudy day. He was intelligent, and he was a musician, an artist, an athlete, a construction worker and iron worker, a video game and computer nerd slash enthusiast. <laughs> I, don't, I don't take offense to nerd because I call myself that, but some people, I guess, maybe wouldn't be. So we mean so. nothing, nothing mean about that. Um, it's endearing. It is endearing. Um, I have family members who I would put in that category. Um, I regularly have people say, what's up, nerd? And I'm like, oh, you know, just reading again. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. no, no, I, I fit it so it doesn't, doesn't bother me. Yeah. Your words don't bother me. Mm-hmm. And he was simply the best friend, brother, son, and cousin that you could ask for. He would help anyone that he could, and he loved to share his art, music, and knowledge with others. Medicating for injuries that occurred during high school football, 
and then a re-injury doing a small construction project, coupled with some poor choices and relationships that a few of his close family and friends knew about, slowly CJ became ensnared in the local world of drugs and began fighting an addiction that he claimed he wanted to kick. His mother shared her and her husband Carrie's talks with him the day before he disappeared. His emotional admission regarding his meth habit and being upset about his recent girlfriend not being so much truthful with him, it's according to um, what he was hearing that day. The curious texts and calls to family and friends for which there are many inconsistencies and oddities and the worry that very quickly engulfed his mother, stepfather, and soon his sister and friends when they didn't hear from him for hours. We previewed the searches that started where his boots and phone were located, then a shirt and other items located in other nearby spots. There were false leads and a full-blown search with drones and search dogs. Even a scam artist tried to convince April that they were holding CJ for money. And finally, after 10 weeks, a landowner made the devastating discovery on the property he was on. CJ was located near a hunting and shooting house four miles from home. As we conclude, we're going to do something a little bit different and have an unscripted discussion about CJ's case. There are a lot of questions left up in the air, a lot of rumors and misinformation, as well as concerns about how the case has been managed over the years. So we covered CJ's case kind of in two separate episodes before the holidays, and we backed up a little bit and covered what we learned through those episodes. And this time, we wanted to kind of go through talking points, you know, things that stood out to us and that other people have questioned. And I know people have asked for maps. We're going to get them to you. But, you know, we were hoping over the holidays that we were going to be able to look at CJ's incoming and outgoing text messages that day. Unfortunately, we weren't able to do that. Um, We didn't get the records for those. Hopefully, We'll get them in the future and we'll be able to kind of go over that and maybe just do like an update episode. I think we will probably um, be able to do an update not too long out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think things are, you know, in the process maybe, but it's just getting everybody kind of on the same timeline. So sometimes it's just a little bit slower than when you need it back. Right, right. One of the things... Um, we had previously mentioned that CJ had been hanging out with a young lady named Tiffany and that the day before he was last seen, CJ had talked to his mom about being upset over plans that he and Tiffany had that were canceled. And we don't really know the specific reasons for those, but whatever they were, they didn't exactly make sense to CJ. But during that search for CJ... Tiffany denied seeing him. Um, You know, April said that she claimed she didn't see him on the day that he disappeared. Yeah. But I'm not sure that's accurate because we were able to look at messages from a conversation between Rhonda, CJ's aunt, and Tiffany that occurred after CJ's disappearance. And it was very close in proximity. So CJ was last seen on Wednesday, July 29th. And it looks like... There's not a date on the screenshots that we received, but it does say Sunday. And And if he went one way or the other, it wouldn't work really in the conversation. So it pretty much has to be. Right. It has to be the Sunday after he was last seen. Right. And 
in those conversations, Rhonda's asking different questions. She's asking Tiffany whether CJ's with her. This is at like six o'clock on Sunday night. So we assume this is August 2nd. And through our conversations with April, she had checked with Rhonda to make sure, you know, the date. And that's when Rhonda believes it happened too. Because this is right around the time they're getting ready to file the official report. So this conversation is happening on what we believe is August 2nd. That's a Sunday in 2020. And then, you know, CJ was last seen the Wednesday before that on the 29th. So Rhonda had messaged Tiffany asking if CJ was with her. Tiffany responds back an hour and a half or so later saying, no, you know, he's not with me or whatever. And so Rhonda asked her what day she and CJ were hanging out and if she could give Rhonda a description of the house that CJ had taken Tiffany to. And Tiffany's reply was, Wednesday, five days ago was the last time I've seen him, and he dropped me off at my friend Tyler's mom's house to get the car from Tyler. Now, I don't know who Tyler is. I have an idea of who I think it is. Same. Yeah. But I'm not 100% sure. So... Tiffany tells Rhonda later, like she's continuing the conversation, like answering the questions Rhonda's sending her. And she tells Rhonda, CJ picked her up in his car around 1230, so a little after lunch, and dropped her off in Hamilton. And that he seemed fine because Rhonda had asked her, did CJ seem depressed? Did things seem okay? And Tiffany said, you know, he seemed fine to her. She felt like he was excited to see her because it was the first time they'd seen each other in a few months due to her having moved away. Tiffany further elaborated and said, He told me he was going home when he dropped me off at my car and texted me a little later, I'm guessing after he came home, and said, Mom found a bag in my pants pockets. And I asked him what was said, and he said that he needed to straighten up and get his stuff together, and that was the last I heard from him. We had a great day. He knows I'm here for him. I don't understand why he didn't talk to me and let me know something was bothering him. So if you count Wednesday, five days is accurate to Sunday, right? Mm. You got Wednesday, yep. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that would be five days. But the conversation that Tiffany is describing occurring with April happened on Tuesday. Right. And I feel like Tiffany was pretty specific about the day that she last saw him. I mean, she said Wednesday. Yeah, it's like she was sure it was Wednesday, the way it was said. And if she wasn't counting Wednesday, then when she counted back five days, she would have landed on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So to me, it seems like she feels pretty confident in her response of when she last saw him, which is interesting because Wednesday is the day that he was last seen. Right. April had CJ's keys on Wednesday, so he couldn't have picked her up in his car. And then this is what really kind of stood out for me is that her verb tenses can't, they're not consistent. She says, I'm always here for him. I don't understand why he didn't talk to me. So she's saying, you know, in the present tense, like she's always here for CJ. She's a good friend. He can talk to her, all of these things. But then she says, I don't understand why he didn't talk to me. And so the more accurate phrasing, considering CJ was just a missing person and the hope was that he was still going to be found alive, was I don't understand why he wouldn't talk to me. Right. Because presumably he still could. 
if something was bothering him or he was having a hard time and she's always there for him, he could still come talk to her if something was going on in his life. But yet now she's changed it to make it seem like he can't talk to her anymore. Yeah, like she knows something that says, no, he's never going to talk to me. Yeah. Again. And it seems kind of like an abrupt ending to a conversation that was pretty serious. Yeah. And over, actually over the course of the holidays and over our break, I wrapped up um, a witness like statement analysis course. I'm really excited to be able to actually use what I learned in that. I know. Because I ended up with a certification. I'm super excited. I'm kind of anxious to do that at some point. Oh, it's really good. Because it points out things that like you really wouldn't think about just in the general reading of things, I guess. It kind of makes things stand out to you a little bit more. And it teaches you kind of how to mark things off to look at, to like bring out the inconsistencies, I guess. And one of the things that it talks about is that when there are phrases that are used, like that was the last I heard of him or since a few months, there's a gap in there that isn't being covered. Mm -hmm. And here you have a very detailed thing about the conversations that they were having, but it's a little later not a specific time. It's very vague at what point he supposedly texted her. Well, if he's seeing her on Wednesday, what time he texted her would be extremely important Mm -hmm. because we've already talked about that CJ has not communicated with anybody on Wednesday for a while and that his phone is supposedly off by, you know, 2.30 at the latest. Right. It's kind of an avoidance thing. Yeah, and... We, there are those two, it looks like those two attempted calls to April, you know, later in the afternoon. I think we said it was around five. But so his phone may have been turned on at some point or whatever, but it would be really important for anybody looking at the case to know if she was seeing him, if she had seen him on Wednesday, what time that message came through. Was it before he stopped communicating with everybody or after? It obviously was after April last talked to him. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of a big deal and that bothers me, you know, and the other part, I mean, what the really the part that bothers me the most is that it's I'm here for him, but I don't understand why he didn't talk to me like he's no longer going to have that ability. Right. Yep. One of the next screenshots that we have is a message that only indicates Monday. My assumption is, is that the screenshots were taken at the time the messages were being sent. And that's why there's not actually a date stamp on it. Right. It'll say like Monday or today. Yeah. Right. But if it gets longer than a week, then it starts actually putting the date stamp on there. So presumably this is the following Monday because Rhonda comments in it that the police are now investigating this. And we know that the missing person report was filed on the 3rd. So, you know, in that message... Tiffany's responding to one of Rhonda's messages asking whether she knew certain people that were rumored to maybe have information. And one of them was a girl named Brittany. And Tiffany's response to whether or not she knew Brittany, and then there was another lady, but we're not going to use her name just because we're not really sure of the relevance. Right, right. Tiffany's response was, IDK. But I do know Brittany. We used to be close. And IDK, if she knows CJ or not. 
CJ was trying to get some stuff one time and I told him to ASL Brittany and he said that's who he was trying to get some from. So CJ knows her or whoever he was with did. And a few hours later, Tiffany sent another message. I miss CJ more and more every day. I'd do anything to see a smile and hear his laugh again. He always made me feel better when I was upset. And I'm telling you, that one gets me. Yes, it me too. And going back to words matter, you know, she says CJ knows her or whoever he was with did. Not whoever he was with does mm-hmm. or who he is with does. None of that. It She's talking in past tense about him supposedly trying to get stuff from Brittany, but she's saying presently CJ knows her as opposed to CJ knew her. And it's like whoever he was with did. And it makes me think mm-hmm. she knew who he was with. But those verb tenses don't match up and they should. Right. And, you know, it's not that far out from the last message even. No. And she already is missing him like he's been gone for an eternity. Yeah, it's like a couple of hours. And mm-hmm. you assume he's going to be, again, ultimately found alive and safe. That's the hope, you know. Right. And at that point, you're missing somebody. You want to see him again. You should be talking mm-hmm. about current time period. He always makes me feel better when I'm upset. Like you're upset. You're saying you miss him. You're clearly, I miss CJ more and more every day is a feeling that's upset. And so now you're, I was upset. Are you not upset anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's overthinking it in some things, but you have to look for these inconsistencies there to follow up on those and be like, okay, well, you know, there's still the possibility that he can make you feel better. Yeah. And that whole phrase, it just sounds like somebody who's mourning, not it does. somebody who's, right. you know, thinking that they're going to see somebody again and they just miss them. It makes me wonder, why does it feel like Tiffany knew CJ would not be found alive? In that time period, everybody's worried, obviously. And we know now that he wasn't found alive. And, but you would think that you're still hopeful at that point that there are things going on and maybe he's just with a friend somewhere, you know, sobering up, kind of taking some space and time to himself, whatever the case may be, and not that you're not ever going to see him again. Even his sister, Mariah, she's, she said that exact thing, you know, that they really were holding out hope that he was just off hiding somewhere for a while and yep. getting his getting his stuff together, so to say. And that was kind of one of the rumors, you know, some of his friends said they heard that he was with friends, you know, trying to get mm-hmm. sober. Um And it would kind of make sense if he was kind of not wanting people to know what was going on because he did have this big aversion to drug use. You know, he helped his friends get sober that had kind of gotten into the drug scene. And -hmm. he had said he wasn't going to be that way because of his dad. And so I can see where maybe he would have felt a little bit of maybe embarrassment and shame, although trying to beat an addiction is really hard and it's nothing to be ashamed of. People struggle and they make mistakes and all you can do is get back up when you get knocked down. And there's nothing to be ashamed of the road that you have to take to get yourself cleaned up. No. Yep. And I 100% agree. 
so it would make sense to me, I guess, if he was kind of hiding out to do this on his own. Another thing to note is the tip we previously mentioned from a woman that we'll refer to as L.S. She had contacted the sheriff's office and stated that her family had been somewhere on Center Church Road Thursday evening and saw a male who matched CJ's description. Now, this is a note that's added into the missing person report that was filed. So there's, we know that was filed on August 3rd at 3.56. There's no date on when this information from LS came in. But obviously, it came in after that report was filed. Thursday would have been July 30th. And that was well after CJ had stopped communicating with anyone because they say Thursday evening. Mm-hmm. April said, I know, you know, tips come in. People think they see stuff and it's not actually kind of like the person at the gas station who thought somebody came in that was CJ. And then they go back and they look at the surveillance and it's not. Right. But CJ was ultimately found off Center Church Road. Yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder if, you know, if she could have just got the day wrong. You know, it could have been Wednesday instead of Thursday. For whatever reason, maybe they were maybe they were doing the same kind of activities both days, and she thought it maybe. was Thursday, not Wednesday. What's kind of interesting to me about this is that at the time, Tiffany actually lived with a guy named Zach. That's what we've been told is that she lived with a guy named Zach. Now, Zach isn't her boyfriend; just a guy that's living in the same house. But our understanding is that Zach actually is related to. Kevin Bryant, who was one of the investigators or deputies that initially began working on CJ's case. And so the woman that called in and looking up to see who she was, who she was related to, where the property might have been that she could have seen CJ from, she has relatives that have similar last names, or actually they have the same last names as some of the relatives of Zach. And now whether or not they're actually related, I'm not sure, but you feel like that's probably a small area. And right, yeah. when you have a name that's not something like Smith, mm-hmm. that's not something that would be common. And it makes me think they probably were related. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of interesting if you look at it that you've got Tiffany saying these things and April says Tiffany lived with this Zach Bryant And now we've got somebody calling in and saying they've seen him a day after he's actually last been seen, who's potentially related to the person that Tiffany's living with. Then you have Zach, who is related to the deputy. And you just kind of start putting all these things together and you have to wonder, is it possible that there was some misinformation going around intentionally? Right. But again, I can understand where... You know, somebody, depending on when she called in, maybe they got their days mixed up. You know, maybe it wasn't Thursday evening. Maybe it was actually Wednesday evening. There's also some discrepancies in the report, like Tiffany's last name isn't right in the report. Correct, yeah. You know, so there are things in there that aren't quite, and that could be possible. Um, That potentially could have happened because April at the time wasn't 100% sure what her last name was. She may have just given her the wrong name. And I believe there was another Tiffany around at the time, too. Yeah, that I think April so. April was aware of. So that's, I think, an interesting aspect it is. to look at. You know, and there, we, we're kind of finding that thread 
throughout all of the information that we've been taking in over the last few weeks, which is partly why we've took a little extra time trying to get to where we are right now. <laughs> yeah. It, when we started digging into it, it was kind of like, wait, we got to sit down and start figure out a way to kind of put all these things together. It's kind of hard to remember that when you have all of this information that you've looked at, that not everybody has that same information. And even if you've already told them part of it, it's not as familiar. So April gives us a lot of information and it takes us a little while to kind of connect it all together because we're not as familiar with it as what she is. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that April had told the sheriff's office when she went and reported CJ missing was that CJ had been hanging around with a couple of people. And these, I don't think, were necessarily people that he had been hanging out with. You know, people in the area when you're in a small town, a lot of times everybody's related. Right. And they know each other and everybody knows each other. You know, even if you're not related, everybody knows everybody. And it's just an interesting, I guess, set of dynamics. Yeah. And I mean, even April, when she's been talking with us about all of these, you know, these people and trying to share everything that she could, could, she would say, well, this person's kin to this person and this person's kin to this person and this person is also, but they're also too, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, there was literally, there's a lot of um, people within CJ's case that actually really are related. You talked to Austin actually. um, Yep. Today. I I was not able, yeah, I wasn't able to actually be um, on that call, but to Austin have any input into you know, people that CJ would have been maybe hanging around with or like what he thought might have happened that day? He's heard lots of rumors. He said, you know, personally, he didn't seem to have like personal insight as to what would have happened. Um, He did, you know, say that he knew who Tiffany was and that was a pretty recent thing, um, relationship type of a thing. And kind of knew who she was. Wasn't like he didn't know her. Didn't wasn't like friends with her, but he knew who she was. And um so I'm sure he knew her her personality or that's that sort of thing, you know. I don't know if he he didn't really say if he knew that she was also using drugs, but um I kind of assume that he probably thinks she was also into that scene since that's who he was hanging out with and that's what he was doing. Um and you, you kind of have to think too, like here's somebody who has for years been adamantly against drug use because he's watched mm-hmm. his dad battle with this and ultimately die from this. So Yes, he had started using, you know, pain medication due to the injury to his back, but it is like kind of a gateway thing. And that was the one thing he said was, you know, that he couldn't afford the narcotics and um, weed. So he had swapped meth. Meth is cheaper. But somebody had that he was hanging out with had to suggest that. Yeah. And so you kind of have to think that it's like the, the people that he's been around. At the time. Yeah. And fairly recently, you know, developed these, for lack of a better word, relationships. Um, Another thing that really kind of threw me for a loop, really, I guess, is that we heard from one of his friends that he never left without his phone being charged. Never. But now we have this 
idea that they were able to look at his phone and determine that it was on like 4% battery or something when he left. And that it died shortly after, basically shortly after he left. But then you go back and you listen to the interviews and according to April, very early on, which you would think would be pretty accurate because it's at the time that things are happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the legal world, when they're doing depositions and stuff and they're questioning witnesses, they'll say, you know, but you said this at the time and now you're saying this. And they'll say, yeah. And they'll say, okay, well, which one do you think is more accurate? Your memory at the time when things are fresh or your memory now X number of years later? Right. And so... Not that April has told any conflicting stories on that. She's pretty steady, you know, solid on that. Mm -hmm. But even at the time, she's saying they are telling her that his phone died after what they're telling her now. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we even kind of have something that indicates there was calls. Yeah, there's at least two calls, Mm -hmm. right? I think there was, yeah. We talked about that a little bit in the last episode. Initially, they believe CJ's phone was off around 222. Mm-hmm. That's a very specific number, yeah. too, by the way. Not around 230, 222. That's very specific. It is very, yeah. Kind of weird. But now they're saying, oh, we think it was around two. And I get it. It's not that big of a difference. In this window, though, it is a big difference. That's 20 minutes. And your phone can die fast when it has... Um, you know, applications and things that are running down your battery. I know that my phone has been, especially on 4%, it's like 4% and somehow it's supercharged drains. Yeah. You know, it like drains faster. It doesn't take much to get that going on. Um, and people are calling him, maybe not at, at 222, but we know looking at it, they've told her this, that it's that his phone's off by 222 at the latest. But then we see on it that he there's a call from his phone at 545, two calls to his mom. They never connect. Right. It doesn't look like. Um, but clearly his phone wasn't off at that point. And his friend Austin um, says that he received a text around a little after 2.30. So obviously there's some discrepancy there. I mean... And Austin's the one that worked with April. Yes. Mm-hmm. And said WYAB, right? Yeah. yeah. And he didn't think it was CJ. Yeah. He, he said he, at first it didn't kind of connect with him because, you know, he was at work. And the only thing that really bothered him was like, well, you know, CJ knows where I am. Why, why is he texting me? Where am I? You know, type of a thing. But he kind of ignored it. But then later he, he got to thinking about it more. And then he realized that CJ was like not answering messages. And he started realizing that that isn't something that CJ would have normally done just out of the blue. And in fact, he hadn't really been talking with him as much over the last month or so. And so for him to out of the blue, just to text him that was odd you know what he thought did austin say anything about as far as the conversation when he says he doesn't think it was cj well yeah he seemed to think when he was talking to me that he wouldn't have even asked the question because you know he knows he's at work and we wouldn't be asking where he was and the fact that 
um, you know, he hadn't been talking to him, that he actually had spoken to him a little bit the Friday before. Um, it was not like a long conversation, I don't think, but he did kind of fill in um, Austin, you know, what was going on with him. And so, you know, he kind of knew that things were a little bit off, but other than that, you know, he just hadn't really talked to him that much. Um, so it just was way out of the blue. So it really wasn't necessarily the content of the message. It was just kind of the timing of it, I guess. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rob said that he didn't think that it had been a very long thing because he had seen CJ and had just, you know, within the last couple months and had just kind of started noticing some changes. Right. And that was the same thing Austin said. Austin and CJ had been friends since they were tiny kids, like six or seven years old. And, you know, even up until adulthood, but just not real recently in the last couple of months or so, um, you know, that he had started to kind of back away, I guess, from probably everyone because, you know, one, what he was doing and probably was ashamed of it. But, um, you know, we do know for a fact that Rob said the same thing. So, yeah. And, you know, in relationship to the idea that he couldn't afford to keep continuing to try to get the prescription medications, you know, there was the rumor that there was a debt out there for him that somebody was trying to make a point. And that's what happened to him. Um, and so far, I think everybody we've talked to has heard that rumor. So we got an email, um, and this may not be like the exact right time to talk about it, but it might have some relevance to the the drug use that we were talking about, um, that said, and I'm just going to read um, the email as we got it in. Everybody knows that and a black male called were all in contact with CJ one way or the other the day he disappeared. There was a rumor of a gun used either that day or later, or possibly both, but I don't believe anyone knows that it was sold. The guy who bought it had no idea it was possibly connected to a crime, and I don't believe he knows even now. It was a small caliber pistol, possibly 25 millimeter, with an ivory grip that was missing a clip. It was traded for dope when I was told. It was traded for dope, from what I was told, to a man named from Hamilton. Stokes was upset that he got cheated on the deal since it was no good without a clip. So I was told he threw the gun into the woods somewhere out on Alabama Highway 17, going out towards Hamilton. If that's true and he's questioned, then it will lead back to the crime. The information came from. She actually took to speak with the investigators on CJ's case, but according to what she stated, Ross misled them on the whole ordeal. The father of her children, Crystal, dropped Ross off that day and reportedly was forced by Lawrence to help in moving CJ from the area. It was also stated that they held CJ in an abandoned building outside of Weston near a property in connection with Stokes at the time. I was told by in also Winfield, that was responsible for CJ's death. Some of those names we've heard before, mm-hmm. and obviously we censored them because 
it's hearsay at this point, and we don't want anybody accusing us of, you know, disparaging their name. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, there's a couple of those names that have repeatedly come up. Um, some of them were newish, I guess. Right. Yeah. But for the most part, the people allegedly involved have come up a couple of times. Yes. And so I don't understand really because one of them, right, is the one that was supposed to be brought in and questioned. And then when April asked about it, they acted like they didn't really know what she was talking about. Right. Right. What's so interesting about this is that there are threads in here. I mean, like I said, almost all the rumors that we've heard all have some similarities, I guess. The same thing that Austin was relaying to me um, about the rumors, um, that they all kind of were related to, but that he was kind of like kind of the back ground orchestrator of what was going on, but that basically it was either over a girl, Tiffany possibly, or over many. And what wasn't shared with me was that was over again. So, you know, there's three things, but they all end up with the same stories. Just the reason is a little bit different. Right. Well, you know, I guess it kind of goes to also that email hits on one of the topics that we've talked with April and Mariah about too, about if CJ had been where he was found the entire time, the search dogs should have found him. The um, thermal drones should have found him. The aerial flyovers should have found him because at the time it's all grown up now, but at the time they had been clear cutting over there. You can go back Mm -hmm. on the Google Earth timeline and you can see where it's all cleared out. So it's not as grown up. And so even if you still couldn't see very well, you know, just with your own eyes, those thermal drones are a big deal. Um, So they, I mean, they find people all the time with those. And then you have the search dog who's literally running all over this area, the cadaver dog, and never, they never come across his remains. So then it leaves the question, had, was his body there the entire time or did they wait for people to stop searching that area and bring it back? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like, like you said, it hits on it in the email. There was movement that he was kept somewhere. That his body was moved. Yes. And so I kind of, you know, what were they, did they catch that somebody was searching and they, so they took him and, you know, brought him away from wherever it was that it actually happened then brought him back. So when we were looking at where LS could have lived to have seen CJ based on the information that was provided in the police report, you know, Center Church Road actually is a big kind of like semicircle. It's like a horseshoe almost. Yeah. And yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. One end comes out over by April and Carrie's house. The other end comes out over on Calico Road. And so there are relatives of LS that live at the end of Center Church Road in Calico, which wouldn't really be far from where CJ's boots are found. And April sent us some videos of the trail that they would that CJ would have had to have walked 
basically get to where all of these things are found. And I think the report even indicates that LS was somewhere around that intersection of Calico and Center Church and the dog tracking paths. They would almost kind of support this. It just makes me wonder like really how far down Center Church he would have had to go for LS to have seen him. And then he would have had to turn around and go back up Center Church Road. Tracking pads, you know, they're kind of all over the place in the general vicinity where he's found. You know, I think they use they let the dogs go from basically April and Carrie's house. It's We talked about it in one of the other episodes, and I can't remember if it was the first part or the second part, about all of the different things they used during these searches. They used the, you know, heat thermal drones that picked up heat signatures, and they had the cadaver dogs and they had all of these things out there and you have you're looking at these trails where the tracking dogs actually travel right and you think how did they have all of these dogs all of this equipment all of these people searching around this area but nobody which are right there where the remains are and nobody finds him i know it's just when you and when you look at it on the map, it it does feel like it's a, a little bit further from where he was than it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like a huge distance when you're looking at Google. It's not really. Yeah. It isn't really that far. But I mean, how? I mean, as as tracking dogs, even if they were a little bit further, um, you know, the way that they were running the dogs, I think that they would have picked up on a scent had. Well, we'll go ahead with that kind of um, thought, rumor, conspiracy. I don't know what the word is for it, that he actually wasn't there when the dogs were there. Um, It's just uncanny that they wouldn't have picked up on that. It does kind of support that rumor. You know, one of the rumors is that Mm -hmm. he was kept in a freezer. Right. And then later taken to where he was ultimately found. And I think even April told us that there was maybe a neighbor that supposedly saw a car with a girl and a guy in that area, the exact trail that CJ allegedly walked down, coming out kind of out of that trail. You know, we were talking about rumors about CJ possibly being held in a freezer and then later his remains were sent out there. And a lot of the rumors that float around about why this would have even been a potential thing is that perhaps he owed somebody money for drugs. You know, CJ was a pretty big guy. So I kind of yeah. discount it was the freezer aspect of it. It would have been difficult, especially if it wasn't planned. But also, was it's not the first time in that area that we've heard about people being potentially kept in freezers. Yeah. But I feel like it would have been kind of hard to get a guy the size of CJ into really any kind of freezer unless it was like a big walk-in freezer. April told us that, according to Billy, Tiffany had been repeatedly texting CJ asking to borrow $10 or $45, depending on which story you look at. And I feel like we've heard $45 again you know, before outside of that and that potentially, which seems like a very minimal amount of money for for somebody to lose their life on. Yeah. And again, maybe it wasn't purposeful. Maybe they didn't intend to 
cause him to lose his life, but maybe just to teach him a lesson. It's possible. Who knows? Um, but we did hear a lot of rumors about um, there being what they call a hotshot yep. involved. Yep. And we know that there were certain people who actually were questioned in response, you know, or in relation to CJ's disappearance. And one of them actually was the Brittany that we referred to earlier, along with quite a few other people. And we've got a screenshot of a message where one of the guys messaged somebody and said something along the lines of, if I get arrested, I didn't do it. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't kill nobody or something like that. A lot of what comes around is there's all of these names that get thrown out of people who had potential involvement, but it's never really that they had anything specifically against CJ. It's that a specific, maybe drug dealer is the right term. I'm not sure that's the right term, but um, actually put these people up to it. Yeah. Up to killing CJ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's threads of that throughout multiple different people's accounts of this. Yes. It's, I mean, it comes in, we've looked at a, a lot of screenshots that April has received over the years. And there is a kind of common theme there. And again, you know, there, there wasn't an autopsy done. So, that was one thing April really wanted. That's one thing she'd still like to have done. Yep. And we're going to keep helping try to help her get that. But without the autopsy to really say what happened, you don't know. And presumably there wasn't any kind of sign of any physical wound because that would have been noted, you would think, when they found him. Mm-hmm. So a hot shot would make sense because that's one thing that you really can't trace. And it would also make a sen- make sense because... You know, up to this point, the only other than, you know, at home, the only visual we really have, at least an account of a visual on CJ is from LS. Mm-hmm. And her accounting kind of describes him as, you know, being under the influence. One of the things that has been said, at least about what actually happened, was that investigators believe that he was going through withdrawal symptoms. He overheated. You know, it's hot. It's a long way. Um, He's got on jeans and boots and, you know, going through the withdrawals, he's probably dehydrated and then it's hot and then he overheated. All of these things just kind of culminated and caused what happened. Right, right. But, you know, he left things at home that April said were unusual. It seemed like he was maybe in a hurry. Yeah. We know he was also emotional the day before, but he, as far as anybody knows, had not been using drugs. So I see where not, you know, within the last day. Yeah, day 12 12 to 24 hours, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And it could have been longer than that. I mean, we don't know the last time that he used. True. Um, because, you know, when April's talking to him, he doesn't tell her, I don't think, the last time that he had used drugs. You know, and I get withdrawals, yeah, because you probably are dehydrated. You might even be slightly hallucinating. But it's a long walk. That is a long, really long walk for somebody with, you know, without all the factors, you know. Yeah. And he has his phone. 
he's texting with people that that morning um or calling we don't have the text logs we only got the call call logs um right but he's at least calling with people and through our conversations with April and Mariah, we know that he was sending Snapchats and things to people who were at work. So, you know, he's communicating with people during the day. And so right. if he wanted to go somewhere, it seems more likely that, yeah, it would not be um, as convenient as him having his own vehicle, but he could have gotten a ride. Yeah, yeah. If he was intending on going somewhere like, well, like we hear that somebody saw him, that you said he was going to the dollar store. Well, you don't go to the dollar store that way. <laughs> you and, know. So and the crazy thing is that he would have had to go all the way down Center Church Road mm. like to get on Center Church Road right past his mom's house, make that long walk around this dirt road. When mm-hmm. there's an asphalt road out here that would be a straight yeah, shot. You would think he would just kind of um, go right down the road. Yeah. Go all the way down to the very end of it, mm-hmm. and somebody sees him there, and then he turns around and goes back. He never makes it to the dollar store. It's hard to deny when you have a dog that's tracking his scent, going down those trails, that he went, he did, he did at least walk that way. And yeah. I know at one point, um, April said that. Somebody heard him saying, stop following me. And, you know, it was Mm -hmm. questionable about whether, you know, and this goes back to the, you know, you can, if you're going through withdrawals, you can hallucinate things sometimes. Mm -hmm. But there was concern, at least from the person that shared this with April, that CJ wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. To go further on that would be that somebody saw a car parked near the area where, I'm assuming, where Dixie trailed down um, and saw two people, young woman and a young man, coming out of the woods. Right. And it would have been around the time that CJ was last seen. Yep. And very near he was and then the car suddenly is just kind of shoved shoved off in essentially a ditch or something ditch, right yeah yep and yet nothing was ever done about that no mm-hmm. that we're aware of no questioning no towing no looking for anything nothing and you know april and mariah told us too that you know, one of the biggest things is that they would like to see an autopsy done, even if it's now. Mm-hmm. And they had requested it to begin with, but they were denied that opportunity. And so there were things like CJ's boots and his cell phone and, and things that were sent off. And I'm still stuck on the fact that there were allegedly no prints on CJ's cell phone. Right. Because there should have been at least CJ's prints. Yeah. And if there were no prints, then it was wiped clean. How do you wipe it clean? <laughs> Well, okay, so here's here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. They would have had to have wiped it clean before they tested it for fingerprints. And if that was done at the police department 
sheriff's office, whatever, then they would have had Billy's fingerprints on it, would have had Austin's fingerprints on it. Yeah. Would have had all the people who found it. Yep. Yep. I mean, maybe even Levi's. Yeah. So, you know, there had to have been fingerprints on it of somebody's, even if they were known people that would have had, you know, like I said, if they were in contact with it. Mm hmm. But so, yet what he said was, there are no prints. Right. And, and if that's so not then, correct, I'd love for him to correct that. I'd love for him to tell us that that's incorrect and that what the real, you know. Yeah, but actually, like, yeah, there were prints, but nobody that you would have not expected. Or, right. you, know, you know, that that would be great. Um, April probably would appreciate that, <laughs> you know. Yep. <laughs> But, you know, with a few other things, (laughs) they sent that off um, to the Department of Forensic Sciences, right, to run the test on it, except for they cancel it. The stuff's returned at the request of the sheriff's office. But what April and Mariah found concerning was the fact that um, the DFS rep um, whoever it was that they'd spoken to r- suggested, really, um, I think, um, you know, pretty enthusiastically, I guess, that an autopsy needed to be done given the circumstances. Right. And it makes me wonder if the reason the request for the forensic evidence was um, canceled to have, you know, have the analysis done on it, was it canceled because somebody else had said, you really should do an autopsy on this. And it was kind of like, ooh, we don't need people asking questions. Yeah. I just, there's so much wrong with that. I just, and you know, the I guess the thing that I, you know, when you're talking about canceling testing for a case and insisting that it was, you know, an accidental death of whatever manner, but yet they were still questioning people. Yeah. So if they brought in at least three, right? Right. Yeah. That April saw I think in the file. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they were the witnesses and, you know, the the people that saw him on the road. Um, and some of those names, some of the names that we um, got in the email, actually. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, so, you know, there's a little bit of a conflict there (laughs) and if they are investigating it still, then why not treat it like it should be and get the the damn autopsy? Right. What, what is it? If you're right, what do you have to lose? Right. If you're not right, what do you have to lose? Nothing, really. Nothing. I mean, yet time, time, that's a big deal because clearly this could have already been handled. But um, if you're not right, then all you did was just gain some knowledge to proceed with what should have been done in the first place. And to be honest, if it turned out that, you know, the denial was wrong and they really should have done it. 
Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I think they should have done it to begin with. I think an autopsy should be done in any instance where there is an unaccompanied death, especially if somebody who is incredibly young, Um, you know, where natural causes seem unlikely. If it's an overdose, then at least you get the autopsy back. And it says that there's some, you know, closure in that, some finality, I guess. Um, Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and the only reason that somebody would not want, well, there's, I guess there's a couple of reasons, but the the main reason that you would not want to, if you thought something was going on, but you didn't want to do an autopsy and you didn't want to create more work for yourself, it, there's one of two things. Either they already have the answers and they're avoiding the answers. Or they don't know the answers, but they know who could be involved. And there's a reason why they want to keep that information to themselves. And I guess I don't want to go any further than that. But I think you understand what I mean. You know, one of the questions that keeps coming up, we, you know, we have all the rumors, we have all the details that we know about that day. Uh, We have, we know most of the people that we're trying to help. We know all the players that we think are probably somehow involved or people think that are involved. But, you know, we go back to the law enforcement and one of the things I just can't wrap my brain around and it happens in lots of cases is, you know, why do they, why does it feel like they're so reluctant to help? Yeah, that it, I mean, we talked about one potential connection at the beginning, you know. Right, um, yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that they're, like, I'm not saying that there's any corruption going on there at all. I'm not trying to no, say that. But no. there's got to be a reason somehow for their lack of, almost lack of interest. And their refusal to do things that the family asked. Yeah, I mean, they did do, exactly. they got Equisearch involved and. There were things that they, they did. They did do, but there were also things. There, there were, were things that they did at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And there were things that they did at the beginning when it was like the proper thing to do. You can't avoid doing that at the beginning of a missing person right. case, kind of. It, well, it, then you go back and you look at these messages, like from the people that were actually out there at the search, and they're talking about that there were things that were essentially ran over, like belongings of CJ's, like. Yeah. It was a mess. The area that they were searching, it wasn't very. It wasn't like. A grid search or something, you know, to keep it kind of organized so that personal belongings of CJ's and other pieces of evidence or, you know, items to lead them on a trail didn't get lost or overlooked, but it wasn't treated that way. It wasn't handled that way. And sometimes it happens Mm -hmm. when you're in a smaller county that doesn't have a lot of experience in dealing with these kind of things. But still, it just wasn't, almost seems like it wasn't very organized. And that's just a presumption because we weren't there. And why? Then you look and you see a literal document from the Department of Forensic Sciences where they say they're returning evidence at the request, without testing, at the request of the investigator. Now, you have somebody who you've been searching for for 10 weeks and you have no idea truthfully what happened because you didn't, nobody, supposedly nobody was out there to see what happened. You assume they got lost on this trail and that may be right, but you don't know that's right. You didn't do an autopsy to confirm there was no other potential causes. Um, you've got 
people who are giving you different dates for when he was seen. You've got people like we just talked about that have statements that are not really complete. Right. Yep. And then you have evidence. You have his boots. You have his phone. You have all of these things that could potentially help lead you in the right direction. But yet you ask them not to run the test on it and just send it back. And that's odd to me because, you know, and we might have talked about this already, but what purpose does that serve? If If the family has questions and ultimately that's who you work for, even though you might not think about it that way, it is. Mm-hmm. But why not give them the peace of mind? Why not do this? Because what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong in your assumption about what happened and you're turning this family down because you just want them to believe what you're saying, like you believe what you're saying, and you're wrong? Right. And what irritates me the most about all of this when we see things like this come up is that mistakes happen. I get it. Everybody's human. They're not perfect. They, you know, investigators are the same way. You can't expect them to be perfect. Things get overlooked. Things get forgotten. Things get lost. It's Things happen. But with these cases where you're looking at all of these unsolved cases, CJ's included, but even if you set it aside, When you have cases, especially the ones where you know it was a homicide, somebody is responsible for that. And they are walking around out there free as a bird. That's exactly right. With every opportunity to do it again. And the longer they get away with it, the more likely it becomes they will do it again. And when you aren't confirming that your hypothesis essentially is right, then how do you know that you're not letting somebody responsible for people like CJ's death walk free to have the opportunity to do it again? So all it would do is maybe it would take a little bit more of your time. Maybe that's an inconvenience. But doesn't the certainty mean more in this case when you have lives that are at stake? And ultimately, you know, there's finding the person and there's finding who caused harm to that person. And really those, that and serving the family is, those are the the three things. <laughs> there's only three things, you know, it's like you only had three jobs. <laughs> you know? Right. And even if you couldn't, complete a job you put all your effort into that job because that's what you're there for Mm -hmm. and you know and I can't help it you know there are a lot of cases um in in the area not necessarily just Marion County but you know like in the general vicinity of Marion County um as we all know that you know in just many of cold cases in general, where it's somebody who got caught up in a lifestyle that isn't good and go right back to the soapbox about everybody deserves to, you know, have justice. They all deserve it. Not just the people that have money, not just the people who are clean, not just, you know, everybody does. There's somebody's mother, father, daughter, cousin, whatever. It, it drives me crazy. <laughs> just 
Yeah. Sorry. Soapbox. I get it. And I agree completely. And you add on top, there was obviously some question in their mind about what happened because Mm -hmm. they initially sent the proper evidence they had off. They were questioning people. They brought people in to detain them for questioning, at least based on the records April looked at. So there had to be some sliver of doubt about how what what happened. And yeah. then it was just kind of like, ah, well, oh, well. You know, there's a lot of questions. And we're trying to keep this episode within a reasonable time frame. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's so much more stuff that we've got to go through. Um, but it's really been like, pulling teeth to get anywhere right we're trying a couple of other a couple of other avenues um and hopefully we'll continue to get stuff and we appreciate those who have sent us messages about different things and maybe we didn't address it in this episode and specifically if there's anything that you want to know more about shoot us a message leave us a comment on our social media pages send us an email um, you know, get in touch with us. Let us know, like, when you're listening to it, and this goes for any of the cases, what stands out to you that you would like more information on or if you were looking at this case and listening to this case, where, what do you think? Because it helps us. Sometimes maybe you have different ideas than what we have and areas yeah. that we could go look at. Different set of eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we could really ever actually address every question that we had in one episode. Yeah. You know, it's we. This is the third episode, and we still, I don't think, have really. We try to be careful because you don't want to put out inaccurate information because that's not the point. The point is to get out the accurate, correct information that might, mm-hmm. you know, jog a memory or encourage somebody else right. to say, "Yeah, I knew that, but I never told anybody." Um, right. And some of those, you know, I know we shared a lot of rumors and theories at kind of throughout this but you know the method behind that the method behind the madness <laughs> is that you know it isn't just one rumor it's not just one rumor about this or that it's several rumors that all have threads that are similar and so it kind of leads you to believe that there's some thread of truth throughout that yep. so like i said if you have thoughts or ideas about anything we've shared We'd really like to hear from you. And above all, if you know anything at all about CJ's disappearance and his subsequent death, please come forward to the Marion County Sheriff's Office at 205-921-4733. You can also submit a tip on their website. You can also contact us via email or on our social media pages. You can also send an anonymous tip through our website. We'll get that over to the people that need it. Right. And, you know, from us to the Marion County Sheriff's Office, we implore you to look more into CJ's case. Please grant the Chafins their request to have CJ exhumed and have an autopsy done. This is so important for CJ's case and for the family. Even if those answers support your hypothesis, your assumption. Exactly. At least they'll know. At least it's, it's final. But as long as there is a question in their mind... It is going to bother them. And mm-hmm. I would feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. So what we'd like to do now 
is leave you with a few things that we thought you should hear, and even more something that those out there, and even more something that those out there keeping the full truth away from CJ's family should hear. Because through all of this, we want to circle back to CJ was a person, not a case, not a story, not just a rumor to listen to and share. He is so loved and so missed. His family and friends have so many memories, but they should also have CJ here to share those memories with and continue making those memories. Since the last episode, I spoke to CJ's friend, Austin. I think I mentioned that earlier um, in passing. He shared a story about CJ that was super funny. I just thought, and, and it's so simple, but it's one of those things that I can picture as a kid doing something with a friend and thinking, oh my gosh, it's so funny. I'm going to never forget that. When they were young, it was Valentine's Day um, that he was remembering this from. And after school, <laughs> they got to goofing around. And somehow or another, CJ got it into his head and had a mouthful of Kool-Aid, the dry Kool-Aid. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so they, uh, and, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. I mean, I think just putting the Kool-Aid in his mouth probably was enough to do it. Yeah. They got to laughing and he spit out red Kool-Aid everywhere. Oh, my like, God. It was just like a shower. Yeah, oh. I guess. And he said they were laughing. About, I mean, they were still laughing about that as adults. That's hilarious. So, yeah, I thought that was a great story. I can just picture it. <laughs> yeah. He also shared that CJ had recently, as an adult, um, recently before he disappeared, learned to fish. And he was really digging that, which I think I is like so fun. Too. And you can relate, right? Yep. You like fishing. I love fishing. Yeah. Well, I guess on the very first trip he went out with him, Austin went out with CJ. He caught a fish that, for him, it seemed like <laughs> it was the best fish ever caught in the whole wide world. It was like he caught a marlin or something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he was so proud of himself and... He just, a, he didn't have the heart to kind of put, say, Does that, you know, uh, it's, it's not just that a little good. tiny fish, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and I could just picture that. Hey, I hold my small fish up like they're trophies, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, a fish is a fish is a fish, right? <laughs> yeah, then I promptly release them because you can't keep them, but, you know. So we're going to end this with some clips from CJ's sister, Mariah, and his mom, April. Their letters to CJ read at his memorial service and written on his 23rd birthday. And at the very end, we have something really special from CJ's cousin, Haley. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that Hey, CJ, when you were born and mom brought you home from the hospital, I know that you were mine to help take care of 
and I didn't mind at all. You were like my own little baby doll, but with real poops and milk explosions. We always played together and got in trouble a lot as kids. I remember when we would sneak out of the house just to go jump on the trampoline in the middle of the night, and if it was raining, it was even better. Even if we fought, I wasn't about to let anyone else be mean to you. No one was allowed to mess with my brother but me. We were so close, and when I moved, we didn't get to see each other as much. But there wasn't a day that went by that I wasn't thinking of you. I would message you all the time, whether you wanted me to or not. It's like we switched roles from you being the annoying little brother that always wanted to go wherever I went to me annoying you, wondering what you were doing. I always said how jealous I was of your drawings and ability to play the guitar so good, but really, I was just so proud of you. I showed everyone from here to Huntsville your art and told them how awesome you were. I bragged on you every chance I got. You always wanted me to watch you play your video games, and I wasn't into them like you were. So I wouldn't watch you long. But the last night I had with you, we played video games for the rest of the evening into the night to the point you actually had to tell me you were going to bed. It was like we were kids again. I had such a fun time with you that weekend. I will cherish that for the rest of my life. We are all gathered here with you, CJ, and only you can make this happen. You touched so many lives, and you continue to touch so many more. I hope I can become half the person you were. I'm so sorry I couldn't protect you. You deserve so much more, but I know you are in a better place than I and than all of us. A bond between us will never be broken. Even from heaven to earth, to get through these hard days, I tell myself I'm one day closer to seeing you again, CJ. I love you forever and always. Rye Rye. Happy 23rd birthday wherever you are. We should be celebrating your birth, CJ, together. You have so much more to accomplish in your life than you can understand right now. You're gifted with such talent and natural ability to do anything you set your mind to do. You have such a big heart to help everybody in every way you could. You have always had a lot to offer anybody. I just wish you knew how much I need you. I miss you with everything in me. You are forever in my heart and soul. You mean everything to me. Please come home to me, son. I love you so much. Well, my name is Haley Wilkinson. I am CJ's first cousin. And his mom, she worked a lot. And uh, he would just come and stay with me most of the time at 
our grandmothers and we were basically inseparable because <laughs> if you see me you seen cj but he rarely wanted to go home because we stayed in the bedroom at my grandma's and <laughs> we'd be playing video games or guitar or playing outside but we was always together so the best part is i love hearing stories uh well i do have a couple yeah. <laughs> one of them would probably have to be I had got a motorcycle for my birthday. I was so excited about this motorcycle, and I get on it, and we've got like a little dead-end street beside the house, and I'm riding up and down, and I'm like, CJ, do you want to ride? And he's like, no, not really. (laughs) And I was like, just try it. He gets on the motorcycle, and he's doing good until he he can't figure out how to... um, let go of the brake because he was, oh. he was a little scared of the the gas on it, <laughs> and he burnt my brakes up on the motorcycle. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And another one is a uh, man. My dad and CJ were outside in the front yard, and we had talked my dad into putting us a tire swing up, and. We played on the tire swing every day that we went outside. But this one day in general, he told my dad to swing him higher. Uh oh. <laughs> and <laughs> my dad swung him pretty high, and uh, the rope broke as soon as he got way up in the air. And oh my he just, gosh. <laughs> he rolled in that tire. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no way. <laughs> we laughed so hard about it. Was he okay? He was fine. He just he laughed a pretty good while. He said, "I'm not. I'm not asking Uncle Shane to swing me no more." <laughs> oh, that could have turned out so poorly. I have so many memories. I get to talking about him, and it makes me sad. I mean, he was basically more of a brother than he was my cousin, because that's what I called him was my brother, because I didn't see him no different. I wanted to just kind of touch a little bit on when CJ went missing. Um, Actually, I just, I remember my mom, she called and she told me that nobody had heard from him. And I just, I was like, what? (laughs) Because that wasn't CJ. He was, he loved his mama and so much so that he would not have just not, told her where he was at or Mm -hmm. and not only that there were so many people that somebody would have knew where he was at he wouldn't have just come up missing yeah I do remember um I called repeatedly and left voicemails and text messages and I didn't even get a answer or anything it just it blew my mind because if I called CJ, he usually would just pick right up and hey, cuz, and it's just, it don't make sense to me. CJ had a huge impact on you musically, right? Yes, he did. He was, he was the one that, uh, when his mind was set to do something, he was going to do it. And when we was little, me and him would stay with my uncle a lot and, he had a friend that would come over that was very musically inclined, and CJ just, he was so intrigued by the guitar. 
and I think we was probably seven or eight at this time, and it didn't take him no time at all, and he mastered it. And, you know, I I tried. (laughs) I guess at that age, my mind was more on, I just want to go outside and play. (laughs) But he would stay on the computer on YouTube and just watch tutorials and anything that he wanted to learn, he learned it on his own and didn't need no help, really, because once he picked up, that was it. He just instantly knew. (laughs) Wow. How did your music take off for you then? Well, I I really just thought about, you know, when we was little after finding out that CJ was not going to no longer be here. And I always said if I started back playing guitar, I wanted CJ to teach me because he was just so good. But I was like, well, I guess now I owe it to him. So I just picked the guitar up, and I done like CJ, and I got on YouTube, and I watched tutorials, and I just, I learned it myself, because I know he done it, and I was like, well, if CJ could do it, I can do it. And from that day forward, I was like, I'm just going to stick with it. I'm going to play guitar, and I'm going to sing, because he was one of those that he he believed in me, and he knew that I could do it, so I was like, well, I'm going to do it. I mean, CJ's been the influence on all my music, but uh, that one song in particular, you know, I wrote that when I was at a really low spot in my life because CJ was my best friend, and I just felt like that was my way of getting it out because I, I wanted to scream and I wanted to cry. But I also wanted to do something where other people could could hear the pain, and because all the family we've we've suffered, but we can't grieve fully, and that that's really my only way to grieve is through my music because I can say how I feel, and and I'm sure you can hear it in my voice when I sing. Yeah, yeah, music's helped a lot as far as being able to work through my emotions because I can I can write about everything that I'm going through. I think music is uncanny. You know, it it symbolizes moments in time. It symbolizes emotion. Um, it's soothing. It's haunting. It's, you know, it's just incredible. I love music. It definitely can be therapeutic for some people. Definitely. We're going to play the song. Would you share some of the lyrics with us? Um, I mean, the the lyrics, though, in their self, um, I can't kind of explain. Of course, the Lay Me Down in the Pines is the title of it. And that's basically, um, you know, when CJ passed away and we found him out in the pines. Mm-hmm. To me, it just... Being out there the day that I went, I had that feeling that he was going to be out there. And if everybody would have just left, I probably would have been out there for for days on days trying to find him. Because I think at one point, my fiancé and a couple others, they were like, we're going to go this way. And I was like, it's fine. I'm just going to... and I. 
ventured off by myself because I just, I don't know, it was like he was talking to me when I was out there. And I just got this sense of comfort just being out in the woods. And I that's why I put that in the song, you know, lay me down in the pines where the breeze whispers your name. Because, I don't know, I just feel like that's a peaceful place, even with the circumstances. I know CJ loved being out in the woods, for one, because when we was little, that's that's where we was at most of the time. We had a wood line back behind my grandma's, and we would always be out in the woods playing. So, in a way, that, that gave me peace. I think it's probably my favorite line, because it brings you there, but it also kind of changes the tone of why you was there. Yeah. And, you know, I want everybody that does listen to it, and especially the ones that were involved, to understand it. this song ain't just for me. This is from its whole family, too, because we don't want nobody's pity. We just want him here with us, but unfortunately, he can't be. And... Lord, what we do to have him back here with us. But if yeah. if there's somebody out there that knows something, then please, just from somewhere inside, you find it to just come forward and say something so that our family can just finally grieve the way we need to. It's not fair. It's not. It's a nightmare we can't wake up from. I thank you for that. Hopefully they're listening. They really need to hear it. CJ was a very big-hearted person, and everyone that he loved, he loved with everything in him. He would literally give the shirt off his back. He would do without so that somebody else could have. And... I've always just looked up to him, even though I'm older than him. I just, he was kind of my my hero because anything that he wanted to do, he done it. And he caught on so fast to everything. There wasn't nothing that he couldn't do if he put his mind to it. All his family, we knew that he loved us because he just, he showed it in every aspect but we're all grateful to have known CJ and to have had him as a family member because I don't, I don't think we could ask for, for a better person to call our son or cousin or brother or nephew. CJ was just, he was great. Everything about him was great. And you was just blessed to have known him if you did. I can still hear your voice All the rumors spreading their just noise Can't believe it's happening In our small town You thank the friends But they're not the thing We have but we've not forgotten Won't stop until we find out Lay me down Well, the breeze 
Since Alabama Cold Case Advocacy's creation, we have dedicated innumerable hours to researching and networking in an effort to provide the largest platform we can to the cases we share. We shoulder all associated expenses with Alabama Cold Case Advocacy out of our own pocket, including the subscription fees for researching and production of the Unforgotten podcast to provide a cost-free avenue for the victims' families of those cases. We hope you will join in our efforts to raise awareness of Alabama's missing and murdered and support these families who have been forced to carry the immeasurable loss of their loved ones and the fight for answers. If you appreciate our mission and you are inspired to make a donation, your extra support will enable the ACCA to continue our research, share the cold cases, and help those families know that they are also unforgotten. Unforgotten is an Alabama cold case advocacy podcast recorded in conjunction with Riverside FM, hosted and distributed by Spotify for podcasters, available on your favorite podcast platform. Intro music for the show was created by Principles of Uncertainty, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Content and production is by Sellers and Stormy. Artwork by Sellers. Credits for music, sound clips, special mentions, and any source referenced in our podcast can be found in each episode's description. We hope you will join us on all the major social media sites and continue to raise awareness of our Alabama cold cases. Until next time, thank you for listening, and remember, justice may be delayed, but the victims and their families remain unforgotten. Won't stop until we find out.